didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hi, and welcome back to Didn't See It Coming. I'm Mark Stoiber. A close friend of mine, and actually a business partner of mine, uh, Neil Belenke, introduced me to a very interesting lady a short time ago. Her name is Anne Graham. She is a best-selling author. Uh, her book is called Profit in Plain Sight. And when you dig a little bit into Anne's bio, what you see is a lot of accolades. A lot of accolades for someone who takes businesses that are in turnaround and helps them drive more profit. But more than that, I mean, a lot of people do that. But what she seems to do is make a lot of people happy at all levels. People who are working, people who are running businesses, people who are in the front office, people who are in the back office. And I'm going, what is going on here? What has she got? She's got lots of webinars. She's got lots of um, um, pamphlets and, and how-tos to buy. She's a prolific machine of productivity and awesomeness. And I had to know what was going on. So I contacted Anne uh, a little while ago and we had a great conversation and she was as prolific on the phone as she is on her website and in LinkedIn. She was uh, going off on, on a whole bunch of directions and each of them were angles that I thought we could take uh, if we were to have a conversation uh, for our podcast. But I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite Anne aboard because one thing that she and I share, we both came up in the same era of relative stability and we were both tossed into the seas of chaos and this is where things I think get interesting. How do you thrive and survive in a time of turbulence and chaos? So that is what I want to bring aboard Anne Graham for today. Anne, welcome. Thank you, Mark. So your website is absolutely nuts. There is, uh, you are doing so many things for so many people. Uh, how do you find the time? Are you just extremely <laughs> organized or do you have ghostwriters? I'm actually extremely organized and I have the most amazing virtual assistant in the world who pushes all the right buttons to make sure that all the content that comes out is actually going to all the right places. But interestingly enough, I only do three things. I talk about profit, growth, and innovation, and I speak, and I write, and I consult. Once you kind of boil it down to a simple little matrix like that, you'd be surprised, Mark. There's so many things that fall into place. Really? Wow. I mean, I, I, I write, I consult. Um, I have a couple of business interests on the side, but there's just never, there's just never enough time. And you seem so calm and, you know, welcome <laughs> that's, that's the recovering workaholic in me that I, uh, I did the 24-7 thing for too many years in my career years. And once I started my own business, although I've put in a lot of long hours over the years. I also make sure I do have a lot of great work-life balance. And that is actually what keeps me sane. Yeah. How do you do that? How, how, I mean, because it, it, this is one thing that is core. Uh, if, you're, if you are on your own, you're on your own, I'm on my own, um, there is always something to do. And there is always that sort of lack of security, the feeling like, oh, if I only did this, I'd be a little more secure. I'd be a little more ahead. I, I, you know, I, this would be done and people wouldn't be as unhappy with me. Uh, <laughs> there's always one more thing. How do you manage to balance that out? Well, I, I have a little secret, um, secret technique there. It's called boating. 
Ah. I am a very passionate boater here on the coast of British Columbia. And when I get on the boat, where I take a lot of long weekends all summer long, I basically turn off the technology. So I turn off the distractions. I don't have the emails coming in at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock and midnight, you know, that I'm kind of like, oh, I should probably answer that before I go do anything else. It's just an incredibly powerful way to unplug. And I'm very fortunate that way because people who don't have that little escape hatch like that tend to, especially as entrepreneurs, we all get drawn in mm-hmm. to all of those little distractions, as you say, that can keep us going 24-7. Now, give me a little bit of, um, um, give me a little background on your history. Where you, yeah, uh, yeah just, we, we both came from the corporate world and uh, our corporate world kind of imploded around us. Yes, exactly. Well, it's interesting. You know, when I graduated from university, it was in the 1982 recession. So I just I just dated myself badly on that one. And I had a, a very big dream to work for this incredible computer company. And they actually weren't hiring that year. They, they shut down their university hiring mm-hmm. because of the recession. So I took another job that I, I swore I would never do. I was selling business forms in Hamilton, Ontario, in the days when those three-part, you know, carbonless forms were a really big thing. Well, that's a, that's a sexy start to a career. Oh, it's a really sexy start to a career, especially when you're calling on every sleazy bar and grill and dive and as a little 21-year-old or whatever, sort of wet behind the ears trying to make a living. It was the best training I ever could have gotten. And I, I did well there, but I must admit my heart was still in technology. And about four years later, I actually managed to get on board with this amazing and wonderful computer company. Mm-hmm. I won't tell you the name quite yet because... I decided that that was going to be my career. Like you, Mark, I I grew up in a family where, you know, my dad was the the income earner. He had a steady job his whole life and worked towards a nice pension. You know, my mom was able to be a full-time homemaker. And I decided I was going to do the career track with this one particular company. I had my eye firmly on the corner office, and I was starting to make some good progress you know, in that direction. I had a number of promotions. I ended up as a national sales manager. I ended up as a profit center manager. And then it all started to fall apart. This is a company that, to make a very long story very short, downsized 120,000 people worldwide in less than four years and vanished from the surface of the earth. Oh, my God. Now, how old were you when this happened? I was in my early 30s when all the downsizing happened. And wow. I was so one you were, of the you were, it wasn't like you were 20 years old and couch surfing no, anymore? No, not at all. I mean, I was established. I was, uh, you know, I was married, living in a beautiful condo in Toronto. I had the whole future all mapped out, and it all came crashing down. And it's really interesting because I was kind of the one that had to look a lot of my team. I had a, a good-sized team at the time in place. They were all revenue-generating. And I kept getting these directives to go and chop a head off, you know, many, many times. So I was looking these really good people in the eye and saying, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not you that. in terms of an employee. It's just we have to cut. And unfortunately, this is the way it goes. I finally phoned my boss up. He was in Calgary at the time. And I said, listen, next round. I want my name on the list because I don't have anyone left to manage. I am officially really useless overhead in a company that's struggling. And he said, I need you for one more year. And he said, yep, at that point, I'll come out and visit you. So he did. And uh, my career went up in smoke. It's not that I didn't see it coming. I had a plan B. That was fine. But at the same time, this company was called Digital Equipment. At the time, it was the second largest computer company in the world. It was the apple of its day in terms of being an amazing place to work, an incredible culture, and they got it wrong. Mm -hmm. So I needed to start over. And starting over, I didn't want to go to a lesser 
technology company. I mean, once you've experienced that magic, it's a matter of, wow, I need to go into a totally different industry and reinvent myself, mm-hmm. which I probably did about four times over the next six years. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but isn't and, that amazing, though, how a huge company can just vanish like that and throw 120,000 people into chaos and turmoil? Now you know what I've done that. Uh, I've done that a number of times too. And and one of the, the the most cruel aspects of that was I remember I had to take people off my employee list because New York got it wrong. Yeah. And oh, so ouch. and the mothership. You know, I was working in Toronto at the time. And when the mothership gets things wrong, they don't cut their own staff. They cut all the all the appendages. They cut all the all the other offices off. Absolutely. And I, I remember I'd gone through one round of cuts and. Um, it was awful because I had to let good people go. And uh, then I got invited to a conference with one of our clients in Paris, of all places. <laughs> and the guys from New York showed up on the, on the Concorde. Remember the yes, Concorde? Yes, I do. I do. And, I, you know, isn't that just crazy messaging? Uh, yeah. And, and these guys showed up on the Concorde. And I said, you got to be kidding. I, th- I was talking to them. you got to be kidding. I just laid people off. Because you guys basically got it wrong, and then you jump on the Concorde. You know, we they, were still sending sales reps to Hawaii for their award trips during that time. It's the same crazy. kind of Concorde moment. It was crazy. And, and, and the, the excuse they used is that they needed to get to back to New York in a hurry. And so they took the Concorde. I'm, you got to be kidding. <laughs> Anyways, so you're, you've, been, you've, been, you've been thrown out of the big corporation. Your platinum credit card is gone. <laughs> um, now you're on the ground, but this is, you start reinventing yourself. However, is this the time when everybody is reinventing themselves? I, I, this was a little bit before that time, wasn't it? Well, this was sort of at the early nineties at that point. And there was still, there was more recession going on. There was the rise of technology at that point. You know, this, this thing called the internet was still, you know, on dial up. <laughs> it was crazy because there was an awful lot going on. There were a lot of people though, that there had been a huge shakeout all throughout the computer industry. And it was the first of many. I mean, I went into a number of roles after that where almost every industry was shaking itself up. And so your, your point, Mark, is well taken saying, was everybody reinventing themselves at that that point, yes, that was the start of a lot of people who I think were looking for, okay, maybe the big corporate world thing is not where I want to be. And for me, that experience definitely lit my entrepreneurial spark, but it also gave me a vision of, of where I wanted to go. But I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be responsible for my own paycheck one of these days. And, uh, and I know exactly how I want to do that. So my next several years reinventing myself, and the reinvention happened more than once, I, I didn't really get it right the first few times, was all about dabbling in a bunch of different industries to see if what I had learned in those days at digital actually worked elsewhere. Because mm-hmm. I was running a profitable division at Digital Equipment and still had to cut staff. Like you say, the guy, it was, in our case, it was the guys from Boston mm-hmm. who were making the calls. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I actually dabbled with a lot of different um, senior executive roles, uh, mid-executive roles over the next six years or so, just to say, what do I really want to be when I grow up? And can I take the skills that I've been using and can I actually replicate the success that I've had? Mm-hmm. So it was a really interesting um, s- several years because many of those companies went through consolidations, went through more downsizings, went through hostile takeovers, went through friendly buyouts. It seemed that about every 18 months, 
I was back on the street. Yeah, there are a lot of and, people yeah, being was, there are a lot of people being thrown out of the windows back yeah. I mean, in the late nineties, early two thousands when I went on my own. Crazy uh, time, two thousand five. So I'm way behind the curve on that one, but. Uh, there were a lot of people jumping out of windows and being thrown out of windows. Now, I always, I always think you have a lot more to learn from the failures than the successes. You said you reinvented yourself a few times. Uh, <laughs> give me a couple of the lessons from the less than successful reinventions. Yeah, well, I guess um, I, the, the company I went into after leaving digital was a pharmaceutical company. And I don't know if you and your listeners know anything about the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, but I, used, I worked in pharma, yeah. It's just plain weird. Yeah. And yeah, I remember going to my training session in Toronto. Uh, I was going to be leading the sales team for Western Canada. They were in last place at the time. And I went to this sales meeting. And I had always been taught to do consultative selling, you know, where you actually have a conversation with a customer. And I was um, slapped right down into place. And I was told that you just never do that with a doctor. You know, doctors are the all-seeing, all-knowing beings, and uh, you're in there for 30 seconds to basically deliver a canned message and leave. And I remember, actually, I was crying in the ladies' room. I was kind of going, oh my God, what have I done with my life? (laughs) I just knew I was in the wrong spot. So, um, I took that under advisement and came back out to the field and started training my sales team in consultative selling so they could have real live conversations with their physicians. Mm -hmm. And we went from last place to first place in less than nine months. Well, now the doctors love. Yeah. And (laughs) and you got this message just to go in and deliver the can message. Uh, the, The deliverer of that message, uh, what did they think about your approach? Actually, interestingly enough, most of them were really open to it because they were all frustrated with the idea that, you know, it was all about the volume at this point. How, you know, can you go and see 20 different physicians in a day and, you know, go in and do your little spiel and walk out? Well, you had no idea if you were even reaching them. It's it's a very unsatisfying role Mm -hmm. for a salesperson. And it's a very annoying role for a doctor because they see 20 of those people a day. You know, and and that was the days too when doctors were starting to close down their offices and basically saying we will no longer see pharmaceutical reps because there's just no value add. Mm -hmm. So it was the start of a big sea change in that industry, and I was actually really quite proud that we sort of spearheaded that. And it was amazing that after we went from last place to first place, the rest of the company got on board. But I must admit, I I gnashed my teeth the entire 18 months I was there until there was a hostile takeover by a French company, and um, and all of us basically got thrown back on the street again. But that was a good learning, good learning curve, though, to sort of say, you know, that we've always done it this way Mm -hmm. is probably not the best business strategy in a really rapidly changing and chaotic marketplace. So and they were stuck, I, and we've always done it this way. Oh yeah, I can, I can, I, I I've heard that so many times. Um, uh, what else? I mean, you've so you went to a pharma company, and yeah. then you went to another reinvention, and what'd you learn there? Um, well, I, I'll skip a couple along the way. I'll tell you sort of the final reinvention that I yeah. went through, and that was I went into a telecommunications company, and this one shall remain nameless because I'm, I'm protecting the guilty here. Uh, I remember vividly. Again, I was managing a, um, a division. And I remember vividly going to the Toronto boardroom where I was sitting with about 18 men and me. And at the time, we had wait lines on our customer service lines that were about two hours long. And I'm a very passionate advocate for the customer. That's that's part of the way I put fun back into business, mm-hmm. as you were saying in your intro. And I was passionately advocating you know, that we needed to do something around our customer service so that people weren't waiting two hours to, you know, get a problem fixed on their cell phone. And I still remember the CEO of the company looking at me and saying, Anne, we don't care how long they have to wait. They're under contract. 
<laughs> now, you might remember that a few years later, those were the days when all of a sudden cell phone contracts were breakable and you could still take your number with you. Mm-hmm. So, those, when he said that, those were the days when your phone number wasn't portable. And if you wanted to keep your same phone number, you were locked in with your cell phone company. Again, incredibly short-sighted, total lack of vision when it came to what was going on in the industry and how to really keep customers loyal. Needless to say, customers uh, deserted that ship like flies mm-hmm. once the number portability came in. So that was, again, a great lesson about you know sticking your head in the sand and not seeing where your industry is going and not caring enough about the people who actually keep you in business. You know, it's, it's a customers. funny thing because that's a lesson that just keeps getting learned again and again. You it go never on, fails. You go online now <laughs> and you go to a lot of the... Um, the folks who are creating new innovation online and you try to, you try to get in contact with them. It's impossible. There's never a real live voice, right? There's There's never a voice. There's never a voice. And I'm, I'm a big fan of live chat too. I have no trouble with that, but I find a lot of times, you know, there's bad and there's good. There's people can come back and give me a hundred examples of how, uh, how it's good. Uh, But I've seen far too many times that I look for somebody to solve my problem, whether it's a chat, uh, you know, or, or actually a phone call and it just doesn't exist. It no, they want you to exist. go through their 488,000 pages of frequently asked questions to see if you can find somebody who's already asked your question and maybe then somebody who's answered it. They're putting the burden on the customer as opposed to just getting into customer care. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's and crazy. And you're going, but didn't we just learn this? You know, I think we learned I, it several times. <laughs> you look at that and you go, oh my God, I thought we learned this already. And, and there they go again, you know, which I guess is good for you and me because as the voice of building a brand that is based on have, creating a positive perception, there's always going to be work for you and me because there's so many people who consistently get it wrong. Exactly. And that's yeah. a really big takeaway, though, is, is for people to stop and look at the way they're running their business now and how many, how many barriers and layers are there between them and their customer. Yeah. It's, it's scary. And it's, you've got to have that closer relationship because in this day and age, the one thing that never goes out of style is that people do business with people. And we've all heard that. But if you've got all those barriers up, guess what? They are going to go find the path of least resistance. Yeah. yeah. And that could be your competitor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... And Graham says, screw this. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start making my own paycheck as opposed to I remember it was it was one of the feelings that I got was um, working in advertising and uh, just getting more and more cynical about the business, something that has continued to this day because I just think that the whole idea it was the internet that did it to me, the whole idea that people take their cues from other people. I like this product. This is a good product. And it was getting easier for us to talk to other people about a product. All I had to do is go and look at reviews, this remarkable thing. You know, usually you had to buy Consumer's Digest, but um, now I could just type something in and boom, I could find a review while I was standing in front of the item. And Mm -hmm. no ad in the world could convince me otherwise. So I'm very cynical about the whole persuasion uh, industry. Um, But... Now, you know, so you you have to find your own way. You have to make your own paycheck. Uh, You don't want to rely on others. Where does that lead you? (laughs) That leads you right into chaos if you do it the way that I did. And it's actually funny when I actually decided to go out on my own. It was the result of a very good friend of mine and business colleague. I was thinking of looking for another job after after the telecommunications experience. And she said, you know, Anne, what are you going to learn in the next 10 years that you haven't already learned? And I kind of went, oh, Good point. I think it's time for me to hang out my shingle. But when I did, I had all of this learning from all these different turnarounds, some successes, some failures. And 
I made the classic mistake that I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, which is being all things to all people. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you want leadership training? Yes, I can do that. And you want you know, something about strategic planning? Yes, I can do that. And you want something about sales training? Well, yeah, I do that too. And oh, by the way, you want something over here in HR? No problem. And a brand that is everything to everybody is nothing to nobody. Mm-hmm. It's just, so that was the first couple of years of my business, probably the first two or three years. It was all about cash flow. I was basically saying if it moved and it looked like a job, I would go and do it, you know, from a consulting perspective. But that meant that I didn't really have any brand when it came to um, being able to tell people what I did. It was just this laundry list of stuff. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that you, you see on my website that there's all this stuff. Obviously, I need some work on this still. You know, I'm still a work in progress. Hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. There's a terrific, there's a terrific book out there by a guy named Alan Weiss, and it's uh, called oh, yes. uh, Million Dollar yeah. Consulting. Yeah, and Alan Weiss is awesome. I, what, I, what I thought, you know, I, I want to I take issue with one of the things you just said. Um, I think that it's, uh, you, you said, you know, what are you going to learn in the next 10 years? Now, were you saying that because where, what you were doing, you weren't going to learn anything more or you had learned enough? How, how do you? How do she you? was she was poking on me to say I had learned enough. She was saying you've got enough successes behind ah. you. You figured out what it is you do really well. You know, I'd always had this idea that I would start my consulting company when I was 50. I have no idea why that was. But that was a question she asked me on my 40th birthday. And she just said, you know, what it, what is going to be different in the next 10 years yeah. if you continue to do what you've already been doing, which is going in and doing turnarounds for other people. So, and her point was well taken from that perspective. So, uh, but Alan Weiss said something to, that I just took to heart. And he said, you know, every job, you should be throwing yourself into something new that you not haven't necessarily done before, because that's how you grow and you stretch and you, you become more valuable to people. Right. And I thought, well, wait a minute, there's some inspiration. That, and that actually led me away from the standard, I'm a brand guy, I can offer you all the brand stuff, to I'm going to move your line from here up to here, that your, your, your profit line. And, right. And I see that as an evolution, which makes sense, because yeah. brand and profitability are very tightly yeah. massaged. So I, I take your point, Mark, in terms of we always have to be growing. It's not that we'll yeah. never learn anything more, but we won't learn anything more by repeating what we've already done. Bingo. It's a matter of new experiences, Bingo. new experience, new learning, and, and reinventing ourselves constantly. So, because over the last several years, uh, you know, 15 years that I've been in business now, I think I've reinvented a few more times. It's, it's always disturbing, too, because to me, when I reinvent, uh, a lot of the times I feel like, oh my God, don't tell me I have to do this again, because you feel like <laughs> a failure. You're going, didn't the last stuff work? Well, obviously, this is working better, so I was doing something wrong. And then you slowly start to become comfortable with the idea yeah. that, well, that's just the way it is. It's a rapidly evolving, chaotic world, and you have to keep pushing forward. It, it, it makes you tired sometimes, but it also keeps you, it keeps you young, you know? Absolutely. But I think that's the whole point of, of your broadcast here, Mark. When you're talking about thriving and surviving in times of, you know, chaos and turbulence, the only way you're going to do that is you've got to keep floating to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're in this whirlpool, which is what we're all in at this point in terms of this change, you've got to be swimming pretty hard. Mm-hmm. To, to stay on top of the water. And I think that's the thriving and surviving piece is you do have to keep learning, reinventing, fine-tuning, tweaking, throwing away what used to work but which no longer works you know, in the new world, um, looking at what might work, giving it a try, getting a few flat spots on your forehead, learning things the wrong way, and eventually just settling into something that says, oh, okay, yeah, I've, I'm in a new normal now. I mean, we've all heard that term, mm-hmm. and I'm getting more comfortable with it. And that even that new normal, in a couple of years, there's going to be a different new normal. So it's, it's keeping up with that increasing rate of change. 
You know, and there's that's the interesting challenge. It's a funny thing the way you talk about it, swimming, you know, in a pool of chaos. It's also, I think, uh, what I've learned, uh, you know, I've become a lot more organized and together and, um, you know, you project a different image of yourself. And I think that's almost like swimming in that you develop muscles for it. When you first start doing it, you get incredibly tired. And then yes. as you get more comfortable yeah. with it, your, your muscles just get it. a lot stronger. Um, and, and you find yourself, it's easier to hold yourself up there and feel calm because, well, your muscles are fairly well developed. You're in, you're mm -hmm. in shape. Uh, but yeah, I could, I could see somebody coming out of a corporate world just going, I can't, I could never do this. It's like asking them to do 15 push-ups. They can't do that. Yeah, they can't do it first day out. There's no question about it. That's a really great way of looking at it because it's, it's so, you know, easy to look at that in our everyday life. Those of us who've ever gone to the gym and mm -hmm. kind of looked at all the people around us who are much more fit and buffed and we're struggling, it takes time. It, it absolutely take time. takes time to build that muscle and to keep that muscle. You know, it's not enough to just build it once. The people who go to the gym and stay fit, they're building that muscle all the time. Yeah. Now, let's talk, let's shift gears for a second now to your book, Profit in Plain Sight, because when I go to your website, when I read the testimonials, when I listen to people talk about you, the one thing that seems to come up again is this incredibly simple idea of profit in plain sight, and that's the title of your book. So explain profit in plain sight, enlighten us so we can find that profit right in front of <laughs> you us. You bet. It actually is remarkably easy, Mark. I have to give credit for the title, Profit in Plain Sight, to one of my uh, people in my speaking audiences. I was doing some title testing with them when I was writing the book, and I was coming up with all kinds of clever and convoluted titles. And one of them finally said, Anne, what you really talk about, you know, when you, what you talked to us about today was Profit in Plain Sight. Why don't you just call it that? And the profit in plain sight in an organization is is really right underneath your nose in a couple of different ways. It's in how you deliver more value to the customers you have today because you already have the relationships there. And it's easy to get more business from existing customers rather than going through all the costs and the marketing and everything else of chasing down new customers. And Mark, you mentioned that. The whole advertising side of things is no longer nearly as credible as it was. So if you have existing relationships with your customers, that's where you go first in terms of finding more profit. Hmm. And there's a, a nice little set of steps that go in involved with that. You know, there's also a matter of looking at things that should not be in your business, costs that should not be in your business. Because so often I talk to business leaders and they say, oh, we had a great year on the top line. They're talking great year for revenues and we have nothing to show for it. Well, what they've got is a bunch of profit leaks mm -hmm. in their business. I mean, the profit's just leaking right out the sides. And when you actually just take a fairly structured approach to saying, okay, so where are all these profit leaks and how do we plug them? All of a sudden, oh my gosh, you're way more profitable. And it's just everyday sludge in your business, things you're doing wrong, even something as simple as having to deal with a customer complaint more than once puts huge cost in your business. Mm -hmm. So as you start to take a really systematic approach, and that's what's missing from a lot of the different approaches. I mean, there's a lot of people who talk profitability and they talk about growing revenues and they talk about cutting costs. And a lot of those are done in conventional ways. A lot of them are very brutalizing for the organization because oftentimes it's cutting people, cutting travel, cutting training, cutting perks. None of those numbers are big enough to make a huge change in your bottom line. But if you keep yourself really focused on how do we just deliver great value for our customers. I, I will tell you from, from you what you've seen from the testimonials, the profit follows and it follows easily and your customers have a good time and you have a good time. So it puts the fun back in business, which I think is really important because we're all working a lot of long hours. It better be fun. 
you um, you work at the University of British Columbia. Yes, you, I you're a mentor. Teaching. Yeah, you're, yes. you're, you're teach young people coming up through school. Advice to them. They're, they've never known the big corporate world, or do they still know the big corporate world? Are they still hoping to get into that? You know, it's it's a blend of both. I see a lot of, uh, in the young students that I mentor, um, I see a, a sort of a, a dichotomy. A couple of them are looking for that, hey, I want that big world experience. I, you know, I want to go work for Procter & Gamble. I want to become a branding guru. Um, a lot of them are saying, wait a minute, I want to work with a small company where there's meaning. You know, I'm looking for some a company that matches my passion for what I want to do in life. And a lot of them are talking about things like sustainability and so on, things that we never, you know, even learned about back in our university mm-hmm. days. And I always counsel those students in, in two ways. I say, you know, you've, you've got two choices. One is if you want to, you'll never go wrong putting a big, you know, brand name on your resume. When I had NCR and digital equipment on my resume, that carried me for years in terms of the credibility. Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, if you don't see yourself in the corporate world, or especially if you want to stay here in Vancouver, you better go out and forge your own way. So that means find your passion and get into a smaller company where you actually can have much more responsibility at a much younger age versus working your way up the corporate ladder, which still exists. So I think there's a fundamental difference that every you know graduating student, whether they're in a, an MBA program, which is where I teach, or whether they're in an undergrad, they need to think about what do they want their life to look like? Do they want to start with, you know, start at the bottom, work their way up slowly, or do they want to get dumped in the deep end and figure it out? And there's no one right answer. The answer that's right is right for each person when they make that choice. Right. I always thought I'd start at the top and work my way down, which I've, <laughs> I've, been, I've been working very, very hard at doing these past few years. Well, you're CEO of your organization and I'm CEO of mine, so we've made it. How do you exactly. like that Exactly. I always, I always <laughs> loved it. I worked for one great guy. His name was Frank Palmer, and he was the boss of the company, and he also emptied the garbage cans. And, I love uh, it. It was great. There was a great story about him because a client called him up and said, uh, we have an ad agency and, and we have a car lot and we're selling all these cars on Saturday and we want the ad agency to bring balloons and hot dogs. And they said, <laughs> we're an ad agency. We don't do hot dogs. And Frank said, I do hot dogs. And it became legendary. Every Friday we'd have Frank's Hot Dog Friday and it reminded everybody of you might be the boss of your company, but you can still make hot dogs. And yeah, there, absolutely. There is That's no great story. loss of pride in making a hot dog. And uh, that was the, the, a wonderful lesson to take forward. <laughs> now, next steps for you. Big yes. things on the horizon. What's coming? Well, there's a book number two called Growth in Plain Sight. You see, it, it doesn't take me long to learn. I when somebody comes up with a great title, I there's a pattern, a pattern there. <laughs> so I like to learn from my convoluted mistakes. Uh, Growth in Plain Sight will hopefully be coming out next year. Uh, right. I'd love to take it to a number one bestseller again. That would be nice to have two of those to my credit. So we'll see where that goes. But the big thing I'm working on right now is making the profitability side of thing accessible. Because in the book, there are tons of free videos, training videos, and so on. But at the end of the day, people... People still struggle to put it into practice. So what I'm building right now is something called Profit You, and that is a one-year online learn-by-doing program where it's basically uh, I, I do exactly what I would do if I was sitting in the same room in a consulting environment with you, only I do it from a distance so that it's cost-effective for anybody anywhere in the world and so that I'm not living my life on planes. So that's now, a big, big thing is accessibility. That brings me, I, I, that was going to be the last question, but there's going to be another last question. There <laughs> okay. are a lot of people now who are saying, you know, I, um, I consult I, and, or I, I run a small business, but what I want to do, I want to I make more money and I want to make money while I sleep. And what they're saying is, I'm going to sell product online. 
Mm, there's a lot of bad product out there. I was going to say, so tell, give <laughs> us, you've done this very successfully and you go to your website, there's a lot of buttons to click that, you know, where you give away stuff, where you sell stuff. I got the t-shirt, I got the coffee mug, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't do that kind of selling. I don't but, do the coffee mug and the t-shirt. No, but I might, you know, you just never know. That could be the next big evolution in my business. Exactly. I'd like, to, I'd like some superfoods and a loofah sponge. <laughs> I'm going to go to this website. But you, uh, you've got experience and it's working for you. Advice on that. Yeah, I think there's a difference between saying I want to make money in my sleep, so I'll just put some product out there, and there's a difference between being on a mission. I am on a mission to get this message about profitability out to 5 million business leaders, and the only way I can do that is by leveraging online resources. Mm -hmm. So for me, it is still all about making a difference in their life so that the next time we head into a recession, they don't you know hunker down and, and stop spending, that they can actually thrive and survive in the next bout of chaos, which is, is still going to come and could be as soon as the U.S. election. Who knows? I'm working to a mission at this point, Mark, and therefore what I put out online it is my first quality stuff. It's not the get rich quick in your sleep business model. It's the go and have massive influence in the world business model. And those are two really big different things. And that will be the last question. So now I want to get a hold of you. I want to, I want to, I want to, I've got profit, but it's, it's not in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want to get a hold of you. Uh, what's the best way to look you up? I, the, the website is fairly obvious. It's Ann Graham and spelled with an E, A-N-N-E, Graham. It's actually uh, Anne C. Graham. I'll oh, just correct you on that C one. Is it, it is. There's another famous Anne Graham. She's Billy Graham's daughter. So I am Anne C. As in Carolyn Graham. Anne C. Graham. I thought I just. I thought I just typed in Anne Graham. I was convinced that was you. You um, probably. I was looking at. I was looking at direct on that one. I was looking at Billy Graham's daughter's website. I've got the wrong person <laughs> on the line here. I want my money back. It, I'm not. Who the hell are you? Uh, okay, so I want to get a hold of you. AnneCGraham.com. Yes. And, and I'm always happy to talk to people on the phone or get emails. The email is even easier. It's Anne, A-N-N-E, at AnneCGraham.com. If any of your listeners want to talk about profitability, I am happy to engage with them at any time and just share you know, ideas, thoughts, uh, help them get pointed in the right direction in their business. And that is just something I love to do. Well, I get, I get the impression of that, that from your website. Uh, there is a lot of stuff. And I'm just, you know, when I look at it, I go, I feel like such a slouch. I, I look at all the things that you've got out there and I'm going, you know, if I could, I could occupy myself for a while just going through all this stuff, let alone, you know, trying to find my own profit in plain sight. But I could, I could spend a lot of time just going through your stuff and go, how the hell do you find the time? And it's the virtual assistant. Obviously, the secret is a virtual assistant. The secret is the most amazing virtual assistant in the world. And she is awesome and keeps me organized. Absolutely. And it's also been a long work in progress. I mean, my first website, I think I put up in about 2006. It was dreadful. It was, it was brochureware. Um, that website went up in time for the book launch uh, probably about three, four years ago now. And uh, it's, it's time for an overhaul on that one. Now, so hold on, hold on. Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta help you with that <laughs> because, um, I've put up a number of websites and the moment I put my website up, I hate it. And that is Absolutely. something that from advertising, it's a familiar concept. Your website is a lot better than you think it is. Um, you, you know, I, I, as soon as I put up a new, as soon as I stand up a new website and I've got a few out there right now, I hate them. 
the instant. And it's just like, I don't know. Why, why, is, <laughs> why is everybody's other, why is everybody else's better than mine? Why does everybody else's look better than mine? I, I, you know, I think that's the same thing as when we hear our voice. Oh. We hear our voice through our own ears and we all hate our own voice. It's the same thing with our websites and that's probably never going to go away. Yeah, I'm, I'm still convinced I sound like Bob Dylan with a, with a cold, you know? <laughs> um, but anyways, I've taken enough of your time. And thank you very, very much. I truly appreciate it. Delightful chatting with you today, Mark. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com. Have a good one.